4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. All right, before we hit the frenzy and the crunch crunch, I'll get you a final from baseball. I was predicting doom because it looked like the Dodger bullpen was uh, unraveling. But uh, Blake Trinan got through it. Walker Bueller, six shutout innings. They post a shutout, and they get a good ninth inning from Corey Kniebel. No Canley Jansen. I think that's going to be a sitch throughout the season. I think they're going to manage his innings. And, you know, uh, Trinan was a great closer, had some really good times with the A's. And he probably should be the guy, but I'm telling Kniebel is and was a really sneaky good signing. He's a dude who blew out his arm, but yeah, he doesn't have the arm talent of Hater. But with the Brewers, he was going to be their guy, and he came in today, struck out the side. Again, this is what the Dodgers should have been doing all these years, where they were coming up short of winning a World Series. I would yell every year. You are the Dodgers. You're spending $250 million on a payroll, John. You know what your bullpen has? You have a couple of specialists, but you don't have freaking Pedro Baez and Yimi Garcia. Yep. You have five closers. Like, literally, they can afford five, you know, guys who have closed at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's what their bull, because that's what, hey, the Royals, when they won it, they had three closers. And they started basically it was, was like get to the sixth, you're screwed. <laughs> get to the fifth, you're done. Yep. It was ridiculous. Yankee when and the Yankees haven't won a title, but that's the way the Yankees build their, bull, their bullpen. Yep. And right now Britain's hurt. But they've got closer after closer after closer, and that's what the Dodgers should have. And hopefully Kniebel is going to be durable. But I think they're going to rotate those three guys and then make sure that Kenley Jansen is ready for the postseason. Well, and look, and like I think to your point too, right? Guys like Jansen, guy like Trine and Trine in a couple years ago wasn't good at all. It's the reason why he's not with Oakland anymore. Uh, but who knows how some of these markets develop? You get closer to the trade deadline. The name escapes me that the Pirates, though, have a pretty good closer that they're using. I mean, skill-wise, that you could probably go sure. acquire, and they're willing to go uh, sell and get that. But who knows who they try to acquire at the deadline? I would think they'd be at the top of the list of things that they want, the Dodgers. Every year, that should yep. be at the top of the Whoever the hot reliever is or relievers, you go get them. <laughs> little follow-up on the Eagles. We just did a path to the draft, number 12 pick, Eagles, Dave Spadaro was on with us. Uh, when we mentioned the over-under 6.5 to him, 17-game season, I would still lean under. I think they're going to be the worst team in the division. I, You know what? And I'm, I'm, I usually lean towards the Eagles. Well, because I, I, I respected the organization. I, started, I kind of started losing respect uh, the last year or so with Peterson. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, they're in rebuild mode. And the division's not great, but it's going to get better. The Cowboys will be better. Football team will be better. Eh, the Giants, probably a tick better. Uh, keep in mind, as I mentioned, the schedule, Eagles will be crossing over against the AFC West. And, you know, if Denver can get a little work done, a quarterback, eh, most of the teams in the AFC West are minimum 7-10, and 8-9. Like they're all they're all good teams. Denver all arguably teams. has one of the best rosters in the league. With, if they could a, get a quarterback, with a quarterback, yeah. but that crossover mm-hmm. that's not good for the Eagles. No. So I would lean under on the six and a half, even with seventeen games. Yeah, and it's shaded to the over. It's like minus one thirty four. But I would completely agree with you. I, I think they are the worst team in that division. I think there's workable pieces defensively for New York and, and everything they have going. I think the I think the football team should be the favorite to win the division. I don't know why the Cowboys are. Like I, they are clearly, I think at this point, fourth. In yeah. the NFC East. When I heard Dave pimping 
uh, Lane Johnson coming back. I'm like, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's 100%, but is he ever? Their, their offensive line has been a turnstile every year. And, and in terms of personnel, I shouldn't say, like, you know, they're bad. Every year they have injuries along the offensive line. And, sure, almost every team does, but the extent to which Philadelphia deals with injuries, and not just along the offensive line, but period, it's insane. And I think you're right. It's risky to take another smaller, slight receiver. You know, Rieger didn't turn out last year. He was hurt. You know, when he came back, yeah, you know, some impact, slight. Right. And Waddle. You're going to have two 5'11 guys out there running around? I think Rager's like six foot, but still. And is there is there a legit fourth guy that you should be taking a 12? Right. I don't think so. No. A wide receiver. And this is, keep in mind, like, the, by all indications, this is an offensive heavy draft, and the defensive personnel is not as strong as in years past. So while there is a good amount of wide receivers, you would expect that they are going to be gone. At least the first round guys would be gone by the time you get there. And like like I asked Dave, like even if it is Waddle, like I, I don't want another five eleven guy. I already Man. spent the first round pick on it. Don't need him. I feel like this in some ways is it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad because uh, well, I was going to say I feel like this is sort of Sam Darnold like for Jalen Hurts. Like he's not re- really being given a full deck to work with. He's being cheated a bit. Now, he's not working with a moron like Adam Gase, but Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham, John Hightower, Watkins, uh, Jace, what is it, J-Jaw, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's what you get to work with? Nick Sirianni's going to work some magic. Don't worry. <laughs> Better hope. Otherwise, they're headed for, uh, boy, this is going to be hard, man. We do it all the time. Five and 12. I get it right? Yeah. Six plus, six and, and 11. Yeah, six and 11, yeah. I don't think they're going to be a two or one win team, but they ain't going to be good. And I'm just going to throw in real quick. Like, remember, Zach Ertz trade rumors are out there as well, so you don't even know if if he's going to be there by the time you get to the regular season. We got a bet at hand. We got a bet at hand. We've been talking so much about this Niners third pick, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, someone else. What's going to happen? Uh, Rich Eisen apparently has uh, now promised to eat a listener's sweatshirt if the Niners don't draft a quarterback. I kind of like that bet. In favor of Rich? He's definitely on the favorite no, side. No, I just like the wager that he could have to eat a sweatshirt. I mean, there's no way How he's doing How do you get down it. a sweatshirt? Yeah, there's no way he's doing it. If anything, he'll eat, like, I don't know, like a string of it or something like that, then poop it out, but he's not eating a sweatshirt. The entire. Whose sweatshirt, too? Does it have to be washed? Is it like a woman's sweatshirt? Yeah. Is it a five-foot woman's sweatshirt? Does it have to be washed? Right, yeah. <laughs> Does it have extra seasoning on it? Yeah, I was going to say, can you cook it and prepare it in any way? Do you wash your sweatshirts all the time? No, I think you go through like multiple wears. Yeah, I mean you could have some rank sweatshirts. Right. I mean, what if, what if they have like a big fella on the staff and it's that sweatshirt? It's like yeah. a three X. Yeah, just sweat. We well, better do it. That's what I'm saying. He's not going to do it. He's going to come up with some clever way to go about it when he, when and if he loses, which he's more than likely not going to lose. But we've seen these blows on uh, his faces all the time. He's so great. I would love if it was Kyle Pitts. Oh, what Kuiper was going to quit over who? Was it uh, the freaking kid from Notre Dame, Jimmy Clausen? Wasn't there a Clausen oh, bet yeah. he made? And he should have retired like five years ago? I think so, yeah. Based on it, and everyone's like, oh, you know, take it easy. Just a, you know, just a playful bet. Like, no. no, if you make a bet, you pay it off. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, eight years ago, Mile Kuyper said he would retire in 2018 if Jimmy Clausen It's loading, so I'm trying to say uh, this, this is a big if. The worst. Vegas radio talking about a mush. Not a mush. Bro, by the way, this drives me nuts. Every time I try to click on the link, the page moves, so I keep missing it. Uh, let's the internet's see. hard now. Yeah, if Jimmy Clausen wasn't a successful quarterback. Okay, well, 
By all indications, yeah, he's not a successful quarterback. Welshing on a bet. The worst. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Mac Jones, 53% of your yards came after the catch this year, whereas only 33% of Justin Fields' yards came after the catch? Wait, Mac Jones, that's eerily similar to Jimmy G. Because Jimmy G, he leaves the NFL in yards after catch. I'm not going to punish him, but I ain't going to praise him either. Matt Jones is simply Jimmy G reincarnate. If the 49ers are wise, draft Justin Fields. You already seen what Matt Jones can do. You got him in Jimmy G. You are listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Spot-on analysis from Emmanuel Acho. But it's only spot-on because we agree with it. I, not everyone agrees with that in this whole discussion about the three-pick and whether it's going to be Alabama's Mac Jones or Justin Fields to the Niners. Let's get into some hardcore football talk with our uh, guy on Fridays, former Oakland Raider. Stanford Rout is up with Cofield and JVT. Stanford? Fellas, fellas, what's going on? Happy to be back with y'all. Yeah, lots going on, man. Happy to have you back. Uh, you know, We've been debating this whole – Niners thing with Mac Jones versus Justin Fields or, or Trey Lance. Uh, where are you on Mac Jones? Is he simply a you know a Jimmy G type who needs a ton of help around him? I pretty much agree with a lot of what Acho said because I can't go ahead and just completely knock the guy because he's playing with a lot of good talent. Like it's not his fault that he's playing with the star receiver, uh, another Heisman Trophy winner, Najee Harris in the back in the backfield, and then an offensive line that all of them completely will be having NFL in their future. So I can't knock him for that, but I also can't praise him for it either. Where I come out with the 49ers wanting Mike, Mac Jones over Justin Fields is that. Kyle Shanahan likes a lot of bells and whistles with it, with his offense. He likes a lot of run game. What Kyle, what Mike Shanahan, his father, made famous. So you factor in how the best way to play off of the run game is the play action fake, mobile quarterback. Mac Jones is a freaking statue. So just off of that alone, you're going to be looking more at a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, maybe even a Zach Wilson, just because you need a mobile guy in your offense. We've seen that Jimmy G has his own limitations within the San Francisco 49ers offense, and a lot of that has to do with, number one, he's injury prone. We all know that. But also, Jimmy G doesn't move the best. So I think that you go and you you move up, you do all these uh, all these all these uh, these moves to go ahead and draft Mac Jones. I just don't see that you made the right moves all to go and draft that guy because I don't think he's going to be mobile enough for your offense. Yeah, and it just doesn't stand for what just doesn't stick to me is like the archetype of the quarterback, right? Like you're moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo to get like Jimmy Garoppolo light, like and to give up assets to do so, it just doesn't make sense from a fit perspective in terms of the offense. You mentioned Justin Fields and what he could do. Am I wrong to kind of go back to those RG3 years when he was the offensive coordinator for Washington and think like you could have a more evolved version of that because offense has evolved in the NFL? Yeah, exactly. I think that, that that's the, the main component, like what you just hit on. Like, Kyle Shanahan likes that run game. As you can see, back back then they had Alfred Morris and RG3, so you need somebody who can go ahead and complement that with the play-action fake, roll out on the boots, things like that. So 
to hear that they're interested in Mac Jones, that's mind-boggling to me as far as why would they be looking at Mac Jones over a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, two guys who are more mobile. Mac Jones is a statue. Now, granted, the kid did very, very well last year in Alabama. He acquitted himself very well, throwing touchdowns all over the field to his array of weapons. But when I'm looking at drafting in the top ten up there where the 49ers are going to be picking from, for them to be targeting Mac Jones, which it appears is what they're doing, that to me is that's perplexing. So as we go on from here and we look at what the draft is, is going to fall like, right, it seems like we're going to have three quarterbacks go with the first three selections. The draft gets interesting at number four where the Atlanta Falcons are sitting right now and right before that Cincinnati. So let me ask you, if you're, you're Atlanta, what direction do you go? Because personally I still think they're in position here to draft a maybe defensive back, trade back, but they're not out of the woods in terms of competing, I think, in the NFC South, especially with the Saints getting a little bit worse. And I still, I'm not giving up on Atlanta altogether, but what do you think the Falcons do at this point, or do they go to the future? Well, I think right now Atlanta has the second-best quarterback in the NFC South behind Tom Brady. You can see uh, Sam Darnold just got traded to the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints. Is it going to be Jameis Winston? Is it going to be Taysom Hill? We're still really not sure yet. I think it really just comes down to do you believe in Matt Ryan? Do you believe that this new guy in the fold, Arthur Smith, can bring back the Matt Ryan that we all saw in the 2016 season that won the NFL MVP award? If you're not certain on that, then it might be time to go ahead and move on, draft his quarterback, groom him under a Matt Ryan, and then eventually maybe trade Matt Ryan next year, something like that. It really just comes down to where your mindset is. I personally believe in this draft, the only one who is ready right now that I can plug him in, I know he's going to ball, and it really doesn't matter about the head coach, the offensive coordinator, things like that, is a Trevor Lawrence. I think for Zach Wilson, I think for Justin Fields, I think for Trey Lance, I think for Mac Jones, all of those guys, it's going to be incumbent upon the team making sure that they have the right pieces around him. you got the right play calling, the right offensive scheme, something like that. So in this situation, it might be best to just go ahead and stick with Matt Ryan for at least one more year to see if he can thrive under Arthur Smith, to see if he can go ahead and thrive under this new play calling, and then go, like you just said, get some defensive backs, get some defensive players, and maybe they can go ahead and help him, and he can get back to MVP form from 2016. Chat with Stanford Route here, former NFL defensive back, Cofield and Company, live from T.I., uh, all right, so as we look at Atlanta, it gets pretty interesting. The other team uh, that is pretty intriguing is is Denver, right? And Denver is in a spot right now, if you look at the draft order, those are known off the top of the head, number nine. Uh, and you know what's interesting, I think, about Denver-Stanford is they're a team that's actually kind of loaded in terms of, like, that roster. They have a lot to work with on that roster, but I think, obviously, quarterback is a relatively big hole. They're kind of a dark horse here, Um Sorry for the pun, but they're kind of a dark horse here, I think, in the NFL draft because I actually think they're a candidate to potentially move up and make some noise with all of the capital that they have to potentially get a quarterback to replace Drew Locke. Am I crazy? Yeah, no, I don't think you're crazy at all. You look at Denver, they still got Von Miller. You still got now Bradley Chubb going to the Pro Bowl. You now got Kyle Fuller at corner. You now have uh, you have Darby at corner. You still have Bryce Callahan in the fold. You got Jerry Judy. You got now a uh, 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 you got the big receiver uh, came out of SMU about two years ago. I forget his name from the tip of my tongue. He's now coming back off of his ACL injury. So you're going to have those weapons. You still got Melvin Gordon in the backfield, even though they let go of Philip Lindsay. 
Ramsey, who's now going to be a Houston Texan. I think that they have the pieces. They have the players. And right now, where their weakest set is the quarterback position. John Elway is a former Hall of Fame quarterback himself. And I remember last year when you saw the Los Angeles Chargers playing the Denver Broncos up there in Denver. And you see Drew Locke dancing on the sideline kind of after they score a touchdown, which looked pretty unprofessional when you think about the quarterback position. I thought that move right there kind of signified, okay, you know what, he doesn't necessarily have the maturity to take that next step as a quarterback. And then what do you know, I think the following week, they then go play Atlanta and lose to Atlanta. So that just kind of signified not being able to be consistent, not staying even keel. And then you see the Sunday night game against the Kansas City Chiefs. He did not play well in that game either. So I would not be surprised if John Elway is looking to go ahead, move up in the draft, and nab one of these quarterbacks because John Elway, last he won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning as the quarterback. John Elway wants to win another one. He wants to go and stake his claim as one of the better GMs, one of the better executives in the NFL, and he's going to need to go ahead and start getting back on that winning swing to do that and not just keep handing over the division to the Kansas City Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. Cortland Sutton, by the way, the name you were looking for for the, uh, the SMU yeah, wide receiver. It, that's uh, it. Yeah, Cortland Sutton. Uh, so let me ask you, because, you know, it's in, where they're at, right, they would be at the back end of the run for quarterbacks. It seems like Trey Lance is safely now, after potentially being the second quarterback off the board, uh, now potentially the fourth uh, of the big four, I guess you can call them. Uh, but Trey Lance, in terms of what you've seen from him, his development, you know, you kind of mentioned it, right? One of these quarterbacks seems to only be ready for next year, and that would be Trevor Lawrence. It, it seems funny to me, you know, Stanford, we go from the end of the year our perception on these quarterbacks to as we get closer to the draft, everything shifts. And Trey Lance is a really good example of that. What do you think the development swing is like for Trey Lance? Like how long is that going to take? I look at him probably about a year or two. All of these young quarterbacks, you guys have to understand, these guys start at a much younger age. They're playing the spread offense in high school and in college. So they're coming into the league understanding the spread offense, but it's incumbent upon that offensive coordinator, that head coach, to go ahead and install said offense. But if you're not running the same type of offense that that kid ran in college, it is literally a crapshoot. You're just over there taking a stab in the dark, thinking that he's going to translate and thinking that he's going to project to being able to play at the same level that made you want to draft him so high to being able to play at that high level in your scheme. So I think that it takes time for these young guys. Trevor Lawrence, to me, is the only one that I believe is going to come into this league and he's going to do well right away. These other quarterbacks, I think it all is left up to chance on the playmakers that they have around them, the scheme within the offensive coordinator, the GM making the right moves, also other draft picks on the defense side of the ball to go ahead and try to augment and try to go ahead and insulate him with other players to go ahead and protect him a little bit more rather than him coming in and putting the team on his back like you saw in Andrew Luck back in 2012, something like that. I think Trey Lance is going to be just fine, but he's going to take time to go ahead and develop. I don't look at him quite like a Carson Wentz, but even Carson Wentz, you still have to look at North Dakota State. And I don't want to go ahead and poo-poo that by any stretch, but ask yourself this, exactly how much NFL talent has Trey Lance gone against in all of his years in college? He's going to be going against NFL talent not only every Sunday afternoon. He's going against NFL talent from the time he touches down, and he's got the first rookie minicamp or OTAs or anything like that. So I think that Trey Lance will become 
a good starter in the NFL, but I think it's going to definitely take some time. And then you look at how last season they only played, what was it, one game because of the pandemic. I think that right there slows the maturation process even more. So you definitely got to make sure that you are extremely patient with him. Stanford, I didn't get to uh, ask you about the uh, the Cougars' run to the Final Four. Are you fired up about that? Yes, I was fired up about that until Saturday afternoon when I realized that <laughs> as good as as great of a season as they had, uh, it still showed that they were still a a decent um, a decent ways away from really really being up there with the true top dogs in NCAA. Because when they played Baylor. After I saw that first half score, 45-20, to 20, I was like, wow, you know what? Maybe the Cougs just having an off game. Maybe Baylor's just playing out of their mind. They're playing above their skis. And then Baylor then backdoors it Monday night and does the same damn thing to Gonzaga, showing that, you know what, we really, really are the cream of the crop. So kudos to them. Like I said, it's a Texas team, so I'll still take it. But, uh, but yeah, it was definitely uh, disappointing to see my Cougs play like that. But nonetheless, for them, coming from the American Athletic Conference, making it all the way to the Final Four, I believe their 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 I believe their total record throughout the entire season. They lost three games throughout the regular season in the conference tournament up until that point. So definitely pleased with their performance throughout the year and knowing that with a Ralph Sampson um, with Coach Sampson, I know that they will definitely be back next year and years after that. All right, Stanford. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you. You guys be good. Be safe. Talk to you next week. See ya. Yeah, yeah. Kelvin Sampson. We talked to Kelvin, Coach Kelvin Sampson, at the beginning of the week. And it's cool. Believe me, the Cougars, uh, in the position they're in with the transfer portal, it's a great destination. Plus, he's going to be able to, off this Final Four, he'll be able to recruit, you know, more three-star and some four-stars at uh, Houston. So, they it's ain't going anywhere. They're, they're going to they're gonna continue to be a freaking superpower and a threat to make the Final Four for as long as Kelvin Sampson's around, which will probably be he's 62 years old. So, he's got plenty of time left. Good, uh, good hire and good for him. On the way back, we're going to talk a little more college basketball. We'll get some analysis of the title game, some reaction to what's going on in the transfer portal, and a lot of the coaching changes, especially around the Mountain West Conferences. We'll check in with Nico Medved from Colorado State. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Cofield and Company on a Friday. Things starting to open up now. People getting out and playing golf. Well, we've got a great golf tournament coming up in the middle of May. It's the Coaches versus Cancer Golf Tournament, headed up by Alon Kruger and Colorado State head coach Nico Medved is often part of the field, and he joins us today to talk a little college hoops and Get us some more information on the uh, coaches versus cancer effort. All right, Coach, let's go back to the beginning of the week and talk about the championship game. Uh, Fascinating in terms of X's and O's and also an emotional component. Clearly, Gonzaga a little bit deflated at the start of the game. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, just for my, you know, I watching it, I thought that obviously the game, the semifinal game, there was a huge, such an emotional game for Gonzaga. Um, You feel like when the game started, you know, so to speak, they got punched in the mouth a little bit by Baylor. Um, Baylor is so physical and so tough defensively. Just got after him, you know, that way we're getting to the glass. And I thought it just took a while for uh, um, for Gonzaga to wake up. I thought it was interesting that, you know, they were really struggling with their ball screen coverages, Gonzaga was, and they really were not a team that played a lot of zone, but I thought that Mark, you know, deciding to do that 
um, really helped them. It kind of got, you know, Baylor out of rhythm a little bit. Um, but it was just Baylor's night. I mean, they really came ready to play that group and they're so elite defensively. And, um, I just thought they were quicker to the ball and, and wore them down. And so, um, they have, you know, they made Gonzaga do, you know, try to do something that they don't practice every day and do well. And, and ultimately, um, usually the team that wins is the one who can do what they do well. Yeah, we were quick to say the next day, and we kind of we look at it from a, a Vegas standpoint, where you should have kind of an even keel on basketball. That if this was now a one nothing series with Baylor leading in a seven game series, I think there's a lot of people out there who are like Gonzaga wouldn't win a game. Like no, Gonzaga would. They'd make adjustments. They're a great team. This would probably go six or seven. This would be a great battle. Gonzaga was not outmatched. They you know the, the game didn't go their way early with Suggs with two fouls and a lot of threes from Baylor. And like you said, they had to switch defenses. This would be a good series be a phenomenal series and I think that's one thing that people forget about college basketball is that in a one game situation anything can happen I mean it's it's it isn't a best of seven series and um, you're exactly right I mean people who follow the NBA closely um, a team's going to win a series but they might get blown out in one game and they end up winning the series and so I agree with that it's such a different chess match that way and you can get blindsided it's happened to all of us very very quickly in a game and Things aren't going your way, and so I agree. What a, I mean, the two best teams in the country, hands down, it was Baylor's night, but you're right. If those teams played seven games, um, it would be a war. I felt like uh, winning a national championship uh, on the side of Gonzaga would have been big for the West. As a media guy, do I overplay this kind of looking at college basketball and feeling like the West is often disrespected? Because I, I thought immediately people came out and they're like, oh, West Coast Conference, West Coast Basketball, Gonzaga's soft. I thought it would have been a great statement for, you know, the entire West that, hey, there's there's great basketball out here. I feel that, you know, having been on both parts of the country and coached in, you know, in the Southeast and the Midwest and the West, I, I feel that. I mean, you know, we, we play late at night, right? A lot of the people don't get to see us play as much. Um, and, you know, but you know this, it's the classic overreaction after every game, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, give me a break. I mean, Gonzaga, it was, I mean, look at every, look at who they beat this year. I mean, it's one of the best teams I've seen play in college basketball over the last decade or more. Um, and the basketball was phenomenal out West. The Pac-12 clearly was great. Our league was terrific this year. Anybody who got a chance to watch and, and, and understood that. And so, um Hopefully, I think even with what we did this year, there's a little bit more respect, you know, going into into next season. But you're right. I mean, we don't uh, the the people out east don't get to see us play as much as the people out west get to see the teams out east play. So you mentioned emotion and coming off the UCLA game for Gonzaga, and that you know that's part of the game too, uh, coming from a high, making sure you're not too low for the next game. How did you get your team ready for the NIT? Because clearly, you guys had to be disappointed that you you know you didn't make the the big dance. How did you make sure that guys were fired up? And, hey, there's something good here to focus on. You know, I, I'm glad we had a little bit of time, to be honest. You know, had we had to play that a day, you know, a day after or two, you know, that might have been a challenge. But, you know, I just I always try to be real with the guys and just talk about what it is. You can't hide from the fact that we were crushed. I mean, we were crushed to get as close as we were and to not make the NCAA tournament is crushing. That was our dream. And, you know, we didn't get it done. And, and you have to allow people to feel those emotions because you put so much into it. But then you quickly start being real and turning to, OK, let's look at our circumstances. Let's look what's in front of us. That's what we've done all year. and We have a tremendous opportunity here. I mean, look at what happened last year. None of this. I mean, everything was shut down. We didn't get an opportunity to play in the postseason. Heck, we get a chance to go play on national television against great opponents, get a chance to do something we love in the postseason. And 
you know, once we got out there, our guys played with, with great intensity in that first game against Buffalo. And um, I thought we kind of carried it forward from there. So it ended up turning out to be a great, uh, a, a great thing and a great opportunity for our team. Coaches versus Cantor Golf Tournament hits the ground here in Vegas. Lon Kruger, of course, uh, heading up the whole thing. That's May 16th to the 18th, and I know uh, we'll talk about it a little more in depth. Nico Medved's here with us, and he's part of it, and you know uh, he was part of the uh, bid process, and we'll, we'll explain what was going on with that. Let's talk about moving forward now. Have you guys been able to move forward from a mental standpoint over that last week that the Mountain West Conference put into play? Because it, it, it seemed to adversely affect several teams. How do you come to grips with that? You don't have a choice, you know. I mean, I mean, you you, you have to. And, and listen, this was a crazy year for everybody. I mean, you can go on, and if or if you're going to start focusing on, um, you know, all that, and we eventually you have to move forward. And we had to move forward in the moment too. And and so, I mean, I think everybody could point to their season and look at things that you know weren't fair, weren't equitable, and um, at some point you try to fight, you know, for your guys and what you think is right. But sometimes you just got to move on and, and people had a lot of difficult decisions to make and it is what it is. And ultimately, um, despite the circumstances, we had opportunity on the court and, and we didn't get it done, you know? And so we almost won those four and seven. We lose on a, on a last second shot there at, at Nevada, but, um, we had to win, we had to win another game and that's the, the reality of it. And we didn't get it done. And so we can't look and blame other people. We got to look in the mirror and that's all you can do moving forward. Nico Medved is with us. Uh, you know, early in the week, we had a, a real good spot with Kelvin Sampson, like just two days after he loses in the final four. And I said to him, I was like, uh, you know, great job by my producer calling you out, but I figured you'd want to decompress for a couple of days after a loss like that. And he fired right back. He was like, decompress. He's like, I don't have time. He's like, the transfer portal, like, I got to make sure guys are staying. I got to start. Like, we're all working. It's go time. Like, there is no off time now because of the transfer portal. You got to make sure you keep your guys, you add new guys. So what's this been like for you? Yeah, it's crazy. I was like, God, life was similar when we were playing and I was spending my time watching film and practice and uh, playing. That's what, you know, we love. And it is, it's, it's, we don't, we're really in a transformational time, you know, in our business with everything going on. It's just kind of all hit at, hit at once in so many ways. And so I think we're all working through that right now. I think that players are working through that families are working through that and you know, a lot of things are coming at us at once, but yeah, clearly after your season's over, even in normal times, We'd be on planes. We'd be out recruiting. Um, so, so typically, you know, you, you do have a lot to do after the season, but this has kind of taken it up maybe to another level. And so it is what it is. That's our profession. And um, you have to quickly start to turn your attention to your team and what's next and your recruiting and your staff and, like you said, your team. And um, we'll do that. And we'll have a time to catch our breath here a little bit later in the spring. But, yeah, it, it, uh, it gets hectic pretty quickly. And um, I feel for Calvin, like you said, he just had the, uh, you know an unbelievable season and you want to take a couple days maybe to, to focus on it. But you wake up the next morning and it's like, what's next? <laughs> what would you like to see? And, and, and talking to coaches, what would you like to see the permanent deal be with the transfer portal you know, after this year? It looks like uh, everyone's going to be able to move without sitting out. What, what do we do? How do we straighten this out? I'm not anti-transfer portal, but I think that mm-hmm. right, right now this is Armageddon. Yeah, I, I'm not anti-transfer portal. I, I think everybody needs to take a deep breath, you know, right now. And, um, again, you know, uh, change is happening. It doesn't mean that it's all bad. Um, it's going to have a major effect. I, I think at some point there'll be a, a quote-unquote market correction and people will start to realize, like I tell people, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I don't, I don't know what the answer is uh, moving forward. I worry from both sides. I see both perspectives. And sometimes I think that 
you know, you got to worry about unintended consequences and, and, and really what this could mean. Is this all good for the student athletes? I think some changes are good uh, um, to have more freedom, uh, to have some economic rights. I mean, all those things I think are good. I think we've got to be careful that we're not moving. We got to move, but we're not moving too fast and we understand what the long term effects can be. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the one-time transfer thing, but it's, it's, it probably should be one time. And uh, I think there's some other things that we need to probably work through with that. But you're right. Right now, it's it's Armageddon, and I don't I don't feel like what's going on right now, this off season, is is, is necessarily um, in the best interest of everybody. Nico Medved's with us. I wanted to get your take on some coaching changes first of all, and you know you know these guys well. But I will tell you, as a fan and a viewer of the Mountain West Conference. Man, Craig Smith going bye-bye from the conference and moving on. Uh, there's some programs that are probably looking at that and breathing a sigh of relief. Not that, not that you know, the, that Utah State's going to fall apart, but Craig is a great coach. Craig did a great job there, you know, and, and they, just, they had so, so much success there in a short period of time. And so, I mean, listen, I'm a proponent. I want the league to be as good as possible. I mean, I, I think when all these teams are good and they're strong and they're competing on a national level, that's for all of us. And that's what we need. And so um, so I wish him the best. He's going to do a great job at Utah. Uh, um, but I hope, you know, and I know Ryan Odom, I think he'll do a great job too. And, and uh, we want that program to continue to do well because I think that's good for everybody. How about Tim Miles landing at San Jose State? What a get. Tim's a bomb. You can tell him that. That's a terrible hire. Uh, um, joking. Like, a terrible hire. Like, I mean, I just, um, no, I, it's awesome. I, I, you know, I've been talking to him and talked to him again yesterday, and that's great. It's so great to see him back on the sidelines, and um, the game's better when he's in it. I think that's a home run hire for San Jose. Um, you know, so I love to see that as a friend. I know as a competitor, um, San Jose State immediately uh, um, has got a lot tougher um, to play against. So, um, you know, I'm really happy for him, and that's a great thing for the Mountain West. What do you think of UNLV moving Kevin Kruger over to the uh, head coaching chair? Good for Kevin, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, coaching, I mean, his, his dad is somebody I admire as much as anybody um, in our profession. I think he's one of the best coaches to ever do it. He's one of the best coaches that people don't talk about. Kevin was a terrific player. He's worked with and for so many good people. And um, I think, you know, keeping the continuity that way, I think Kevin will really love UNLV. Um, you know, now, now I'm, I'm sure Lon will have a front row seat, right, to, to everything that's going on there. And so I'm sure he'll do a terrific job. And like I would say about anything, I mean, the Mountain West is better when UNLV is good. And so I think that's going to be a good thing. Uh, um, and I look forward to them getting better. So I want you to talk about uh, coaches versus cancer. Lon has put this together, you know, years and years and years ago, and we got the golf tournament coming up in May. I know there was a bid process, you know, in local spots around the country to play a round of golf with various coaches. Did you actually get to play yet, or has the weather not cleared up enough? I know it's a little, it can be a little crazy there, but uh, yeah, I think someone bid a good amount of money to play with you at uh, what TPC Colorado. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was so cool. I mean, Lon Kruger is just a stud in so many ways, but what he's done with that event has just been phenomenal. And again, thinking outside the box, not knowing what was going to happen with COVID, you know, getting coaches to find, you know, courses in their local community and with that bid process was awesome. We did something out here at Colorado at the TPC of Colorado, which if you haven't been out to it yet, is just unbelievable piece of property and a great golf course and so we're going to do that no we have not played yet um hopefully sometime this spring it has been nice though here actually it's been in the was in the 80s here for a few days um so we'll get a chance to do that in the spring i know still planning on having that event you know, out in vegas in person and it's just you know anyone who gets an opportunity to do that 
get to play golf at great places with great people, and it just you know couldn't go to a better cause. Coach, we appreciate the time. We know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. There he is, the Colorado State head coach, Nico Medved, who's always part of Coaches versus Cancer. The tournament coming up May 16th to the 18th right here in Vegas. If you want more information, go to Twitter at Coaches versus Cancer. Also hit at American Cancer. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Dave Koken. All right, Masters on the top of the list of uh, gambling topics to discuss. Dustin Johnson, wow, defending champ, did not make the cut. John, did you bet against him? Uh, did no. Did you I say did he not. would not make the cut? No, I had you no fool. No Dustin Johnson related thoughts about the Masters. You this could have week. gotten plus 600 for him to miss the cut. I mean, there's a lot of big names, right? And a lot of team, and a lot of guys that uh, missed the cut that I think a lot of people had some hopes for. I mean, people always have hopes for like Phil or. Brooks Kepka, by the way, dealing with that knee injury. What are we talking about, huh? A little uh, limpy out there. Dave Koken, I hope you didn't have Dustin Johnson to uh, make waves in this tournament. No, uh, I, I did not have Dustin Johnson here. But I did have Patrick Cantley among my uh, four outrights, so that was that was a little bit on the ugly side. Uh, but I've got two guys that are live, Cameron Smith and uh, Colin Marikawa. And I'll have to root against Will Zalatoris, who I've played went outright in a few occasions and decided not to at gigantic odds this week. And he's one stroke off the lead, planning the final pairing tomorrow. So that's a little bit worrisome. Uh, I, I would hate to think that I miss out on that one. Dave, what'd you make of the course today, and specifically, what'd you make of Justin Rose bouncing back uh, in the back nine? Do you expect him to continue with this putter? Because some of the putts he's hitting are ridiculous. No, I, I, I don't think Justin Rose will win the tournament. Um, it, it's a shock to me that he's done this well. I thought he was melting today and, and really turned it around in the back nine, which was tremendous. The course played a lot easier today than yesterday. I think it'll be a lot tougher tomorrow. That's my suspicion. It's usually really tough on Saturdays at the Masters. So uh, if three under, something like that would probably be a good score tomorrow. I, I think anybody who's even par or better is still alive in this tournament. So for those who are new to golf handicapping as they go into tomorrow with some of these adjusted odds, there's also a potential for rain over the weekend. How would you handle it if, if you're looking at the odds board right now and looking at some guys who could have some big weekends? I think you look at guys like Brom. Yeah. Um, I mean, he and DeChambeau certainly who seem to figure things out on the back nine today. These are guys who, uh, when they get hot, they can be absolutely dominant. And neither one is that far off the pace at this point, so... Those are two guys to watch out for, and you might, you know, at this point you can get some decent prices on them. Am I wrong in thinking when I look at the board and I see a guy who's hitting about 57% of the fairways, greens are regulation about 66%, putts per greens are regulation about 2.3? That's got the makings to me of a guy who's going to regress. That's Mark Leishman. Am I stupid to think that I want to play against him in some matchups this weekend? Well, he's never won a major, has he? So it's the type of guy who... I think on the weekend could have some problems. The flip side of it, though, is speed. I mean, he's right there. Yep. He's hitting fairways. And, and i, I got to tell you, if he's hitting fairways, he'll win the tournament because there's, there's just nobody better with the short game. What about Hideki Matsuyama? Because no. i got my guy at 51-1. to 1. He's killing no. me, Dave. He's killing me. No. He's done this. No. He's, been doing, he's been doing this for two years now. Yep. So, I mean, I, I, I suppose he... He's a good enough player to have a breakthrough at some point. If 
put four rounds together, but right now it's just not happening. Yeah, misses an eagle putt by an inch, misses a birdie putt by an inch, doubles on 16, then pars out the rest of the way. It was not a good end to the second round for Hideki Matsuyama, Steve. Well, it was better than Cameron Smith. Yeah. Who uh, it looks like he's going to be the low scorer on the course today and had a chance to get in at five, maybe even better. And he goes bogey, double bogey late, and that, that really hurt. Oh, by the way, for those who don't know, uh, Matthew Wolf, uh, he was disqualified today, was he not, Dave? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. What happened? Uh, I think he tried to turn in a sc- I don't know if he tried to turn in a scorecard. I shouldn't <laughs> phrase it like a that. Bad scorecard. Turned in a scorecard. That was uh, yeah. His score was incorrect. It happens. It happens. We lose count, right? Yeah. We lose count. Even the uh, the pros can act like the duffers. Dave Kokens with us, wagertalk.com. It's wagertalk.com. All right, Dave, a couple of baseball reactions. Uh, first of all, what do you think of Dusty Baker's whining and sort of uh, whataboutism and the fans should look at themselves in the mirror? Yeah, I don't know. He's, he's on the Astros, so <laughs> what, what's he going to do, rip the team? No, I mean, just just shut up. Don't turn it on us like it's our fault. You cheated. I didn't cheat. You cheated. Well, he, he, yeah, he wasn't well, he, Actually, good time. point. He didn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, and it, I don't know. It's over and done with. Uh, time to move on. Fans love to do that stuff, so, and I'm not a fan, so that stuff doesn't matter much to me. Mets, Marlins, end of the game yesterday. Oh, it's a strike. He's out. And I, I believe that Culpa did admit that he got it wrong. He did. So, yeah. So, there you go. I mean, it, it, it was a strike. It's as simple as that. They know, they'd have probably won the game anyway because the Marlins can't score. But, uh, no, they, they, he got that one wrong. It's going to happen. Uh there should have been some consultation. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know what's reviewable and what's not, to tell you the truth. But that easily should have been reviewed. Uh, and they got it wrong. Dave Kogan's with us. Um, man, you made some predictions with us, and you told me, hey, if you're going to play a team at the bottom of baseball in the over-under win total numbers, don't play the Marlins. And so far, I mean, you've been right. Why are the Marlins so bad? They can't hit. That simple. They can't hit. I don't they, they, they somehow found a way to score enough runs to win games last year, and uh, but they, they just have a terrible lineup. Well, uh, they've got two really good starting pitchers, so that's going to keep them in game. And you know, if they can hit a little bit, maybe they'll start winning some. But uh, they're, they're a bad baseball team. And last year is going to go down as one of the you know, maybe the spookiest thing we saw in sports in all 2020 was the Marlins being a winning team and making the playoffs. JVT's a big Angels fan. So far, they've been okay. Uh, is oh, this okay. A- They're 5-2. and two. Let's All, right. Go. All, right. All right. It's seven games. I'm not going to overreact. Dave's going to yell at me if I overreact. Come on. you got to play this spot the right way. You're dealing with a professional here. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Are, are they going to exceed what we thought before the season? They were uh, over under 83.5 wins. If their pitching holds up, I mean, they can really hit. That, that's a good lineup. One through nine, basically, or one through eight at least. Um, the pitching is a big question. I, I, I just don't see where there's a number one on the staff. And usually playoff teams have to have a number one starter. Um, can Bundy be a number one all season long? Ah, I don't know. Uh, Canning is, is a good young talent, but he's not there yet. Heaney, same thing. He's, he's still prone to the big innings, and the back of the rotation isn't very good. So I don't know. Um, but, boy, they, they're going to score a lot of runs. And – that's going to give them a chance. The uh, the A's start to the season. Oh, 
boy. We don't notice it if it's in the middle of the season, or is this a sign that, hey, this is going to be a freaking disaster? It could be bad. Uh, the starting pitching is going to be okay, I think. But the bullpen is in trouble, and they're not hitting the baseball. And, uh, you know, you can say the A's have snuck up on teams for several years. Maybe they're due for some regression. And right now it kind of looks like it's happening. But, but they've also had a very tough schedule out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, the Astros are... Uh, yeah, Astros are playing really well, and they had to play the Dodgers. So um, they'll be better than this. But it's certainly not the kind of side you want to see. And the bullpen looks like it's going to be an issue all year long. Dave, tonight do you put up uh, baseball and wager talk, and also do you have any more golf that you play in the second half of the Masters? No, I just uh, golf. I, I just put up four small outrights every week, and uh, I've done well with those. I've won two in the past five weeks, which, which is a nice profit. Um, but I'm done. I, I played my four. I've got two that are live, and we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll get lucky. All right, Dave. Thank you. We'll see you tonight on the, uh, the live video. Sounds good. There he is, Dave Koch and Wager Talk. If you don't know, DC and the Sunshine Man is back, the show that we used to do, uh, 2007 to 2011. We do it each Friday night at 1030. Will Ramirez will probably check in after the Golden Knights game, so some good live video podcast action tonight up at Steve Cofield. Also, on YouTube. Uh, today's spot with Dave is brought to you by our friends over at Nova Home Loans. Get that mortgage tuned up at Nova Home Loans in less than 30 minutes. They can tell you how much your house is appreciated. If it has, I have to imagine if you own a house, it has. Uh, it's been crazy. With that equity, you can take money out, right? You can use it for home improvement. If you're struggling money wise because of the pandemic, well, now you got money in your house. Uh, but you got to talk to the folks at Nova Home Loans. It's 877 700 Nova. 877-700-NOVA. It takes a matter of minutes. You get the information. You find out if you got money in the house. You find out if you can get a much lower rate. Make the call. It's really important, especially now since prices have gone through the roof and the rates are really, really low around the state of Nevada and here in Las Vegas. The number, 877-700-NOVA. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.